I've asked them to share just a few, thank you. I've asked them to share just a five minutes quickly about um, enjoying the love of God and the presence of God. So you're welcome yeah, to come. <coughs> I had no idea that I was going to do it right now, but <laughs> it's all good. How many of you guys love Jesus? Amen. Yeah? We love Jesus here. He's, he, I love him so much. He's everything to me. Um, before anyone speaks, can we all just set our attention on him? We came for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your love, Father. God, I just bless your name. I love you so much. You're worthy. I ask, God, that you would have your way in, in my life and in, in your people's lives and in my brother's life. Lord, may your word go forth. And may we, may we go out this room not the same that we entered it. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. So guys, um, this one topic has been changing my life, and it's really it's it's so amazing, and it's about um, it's really just about being a friend of God. It's <laughs> just experiencing Him, talking to Him, hearing from Him, listening to Him, um, and it's so. I would say it's been like the most important thing in my heart, um, just because it's changed the way I perceive things, the way that I act, the way that I walk, the way that I, you know, just everything about me. I just love Him. But anyways, I want to talk about three points on really to really experience him, to really know him, to really hear him, you know, and because life can get so, like, just busy, you know, like, even in school or just, in, you know, jobs or whatever, whatever we do, like, there's always a temptation for, for things to matter more than what matters most, right? And so, and it's so important for these three points to truly be in our hearts, and what they are, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna talk a little bit about it, but it's humility, um, stillness, and attentiveness. And so I just wrote it here, like, what is humility? And I was reminded of what the Lord spoke to me um, in my walk with Him. And I had wrote it down, but one verse that comes to my, to my mind is Luke 9:23. But it's also um, this is what the Lord spoke to me personally. Humility is you leaving you to come to me. And, you know, Matthew 16, 24 as well. But um, if any man desires to follow me, first let him deny himself. Um, and so, but what that means, it's it's you. Sorry, I'm, don't don't pay attention to my sweating. Just hear the words. Just hear the words, though. That the Lord, the Lord is, this is the Lord. What it is, it's, it's you leaving your past. It's you leaving your present. It's you leaving your future. It's you leaving every single thought you know, that, that we're currently thinking of to think, to, to set our minds on the Lord, right? And so it's, it's literally, it's humbling ourselves, saying, Lord, I, I come to you. And not just on a Sunday, not just on a Wednesday, but he's available to talk to, right, after we leave the service, after every, every single second of every single day. He's available. He is the constant friend. And so that is, that is humility. Stillness, right, is rest. It's now what this is, it's the exclusion of every single other voice and every single other thing um, that tries to exalt itself literally above your own heart. And so I encourage you, like, you know, because this is available 24-7. We can literally leave this room. And, like, I just think of Martha and Mary, you know, like like how Martha was too too distracted and she was busy with much serving. And Mary was at the feet of the Lord. And Jesus tells, you know, Martha, one thing is needed, 
and it's what Mary was doing. But it's simple attentiveness. It's simple. Uh, it's 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 simply like not thinking of anything else other other than other than our Lord, like in that moment. Because when we do that, we're then able to hear Him. We're then able to really know Him. You know, and then the Bible says, "Be still and know that I am God." Right. And so that's the that's the that's that's why stillness is really vital for us believers because without stillness we cannot know who our Father is. And so not I had put right, I had put right here that stillness is the platform for the knowledge of God to fall upon. And so stillness, what is what stillness is not? The opposite of stillness is unsettledness. It's it's busyness. It's it's distraction. It's um. You know, it's thinking about other things while doing things in the name of Jesus. And so like what Jesus describes as people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And so it's about just, Lord, I'm here for you. I'm not I'm just I'm just here for you. Only you. And it's having it's having that heart. And then attentiveness. My, uh, Mike actually told me this. It's the person you are looking at that you are listening to. And so. It's possible to not pay attention to someone who is talking to you, but the moment you you you're intentional and you give attention to the person, you're then able to receive from that person. And the life of Jesus is so amazing because when you when you're attentive to his person, his spirit, you receive his life. You literally receive all that he has in store for you and all that you were created to be. In fact, Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so I had put, thank you. I had put, I had put, he lands his voice on those who give attention to him. And so let's not, you know, like, I mean, I just thought of Jacob. Like, Jake, the Lord was in this place, and the Lord did not yet know it. And so it's possible to hear these words and hear Mike and hear anyone who speaks and leave in a nature that that's totally not of God, right? But the thing is, once we truly humble ourselves, still our hearts, give attention to the words, not the preacher, not the preacher, give attention to the word, right? The spirit, the spirit of God, th- and then we're able then to receive. And then it's it's amazing because when we receive, we can actually apply, right? Be doers of the word and 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 walk out what Jesus ultimately died for us to be in, which is ultimately the image of love. And so the conclusion, really, I I just put this. He's worthy. He's holy, right? And this is, and, uh, like, we love him because he first loved us. Like, he just, he loves us. Like, from every day, every second of every day, it's a constant love. It's a constant love. I love you. I love you. I'm not mad at you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. But the moment we just set aside time right set aside our hearts pay uh, pray without ceasing like give attention to his spirit at all times not just in church but truly be a friend of him right and be in communion um this is how to experience him um and jesus is always there to be loved and to love you this is everything right this is what i put this is this is literally everything and then one last or this is like my last this is where friendships come in. This is where places to live come in. This is where guidance. This is where ex- uh, everything falls into place in this place of, Father, I'm yours. I open my heart unto you. Not anyone else. Not anyone else has my attention. Only you, Jesus.
like King David, right? My eyes are continually on the Lord, that, un- that unhindered attention. And so if you guys are going through life and worried or anxious or busy, or just, I just encourage you guys, really, take the time. Take the time to just set your, si- set your heart open upon him and say, Lord, here I am. Like, help me. Just, uh, I come humbly before you. And I promise you guys, he will speak to you. He w- he's, he's speaking right now. And, but everything falls into place, guys. Love Jesus. Talk to him. Spend time with him. Set your mind on his spirit, for this is life. Romans chapter 8 says, to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And so, I just, Father, I just thank you. God, I just thank you. I give you, I give you glory. I ask God for the grace and the help of your spirit to make this a reality in our hearts, God. That we would live humble people. That we would live as humble people, Lord. That we would live with open hearts. That God, uh, that God, if there's any walls in any of our hearts, Holy Spirit, you have permission here to breathe upon the walls of every single heart. If there's any pride, I just, I just, I just command, I just, yeah, God, I just command any spirit of darkness to leave this place, God. And I ask God for your spirit to be the only spirit reigning in our lives. For wherever your spirit is, there is freedom. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. I worship you, Jesus. Help us, God, as your people. Help us to taste and see that you are good today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we were on our way, guys, I heard the Lord. This is the last thing, I promise. I heard, this this is the last thing. I heard the Lord. I want my people to taste and see that I am good. And so I just bless you with that. Thanks, Jared. So I wanted to minister this morning on uh, judgment. And uh, one of the most amazing things to me is that when we believe in God, we're not judged. When we don't believe in him, we are. Uh, Jesus said that whoever believes in me has passed out of death and into life and does not come into judgment, but has passed into life. And so uh, the Bible calls the opposite of judgment life. And of course, living in judgment is death. So you really don't want to have judgment going on in your life. Can you say amen? And uh, I want to minister about that because God's really been speaking to my heart for, oh, maybe at least the last month about this. And uh, it's definitely... um, it's definitely touched my heart a bunch, so uh, I want to just minister to you on the subject matter. And uh, I, um, I know that when we come into the presence of God, it's called coming into, the th- we come to the throne of grace. Amen? When we come, we've come to the throne of grace. That means the, the place of acceptance. It's not the throne of disgrace. It's the throne of grace. It's not the place where we are disgraced. It's the place where we are graced. God is gracious to us. He's good to us. God isn't disillusioned with you. He didn't have any illusions to begin with. Can you say amen? And uh, the reality I want to just say to you all this morning is, uh, God doesn't miss a Sunday. He's in church every single Sunday. So be like God. Hallelujah. That's just a plug for Pastor Alex. So, But that's all good. Amen. Hallelujah. 
And so I just want to share on these various things, and I, I promise I won't take too long uh, unless you give me permission, in which case I'll take longer. Uh, but I want to I just minister on these things because I believe that this is, this is so important to us. You know, Jesus told a parable. It's not up on the screen at all. I don't know. Am I supposed to go forwards and backwards with this? I can. Okay. Um, it's okay. This, if you've got this scripture, I want to just uh, read the scripture to you. It's found. It's a parable that Jesus spoke uh, in the book of Luke chapter 18, uh, verses 9 through 12. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 12. And this is an illustration of what he was speaking about with uh, the attitudes that we have. You know, church is not the place where we should be judging people. Church is the place where we should be upholding the judgment that fell on Jesus Christ for all of us. Can you say amen? We should, be, we should not be looking at the, the, the pro biggest problem in church is that we want to find fault. We're the best group of fault finders that there are. And uh, if you go around seeking faults, you're going to find them. And uh, some people say, well, I, I just see everything that's wrong everywhere. Well, you're looking at the wrong stuff. That's why you see everything wrong everywhere. You can become sensitized to things, and then you miss the whole point of life. Because life is not about judgment. Life is about passing out of judgment and into life. And yet Jesus is telling the story of the Pharisee and the publican, not the Republican, the publican. <laughs> Although that could be put that way as well. Verse 9. He says, and he told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. That means they looked down on other people. Anybody ever look down on somebody else? That's called judgment. If you think you're better than somebody, that's also called judgment. If you think they're beneath you, if you think that they're less than you, if you think they're not as good as you, if you think they haven't done as much as you have done, that's the word that's used there with contempt. And he says in verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The tax collectors are the worst sinners of the day. So I don't know what's the worst sinner of the day nowadays for us. Probably pedophiles are the worst sinner of the day. So uh, this, is, this is a religious guy and the worst sinner of the day in his day, the Pharisee and the tax collector. The moment Jesus said tax collector, they said worst possible sinner that there can be. The, 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 the worst of the worst, the most depraved, the most perverted the worst of the worst, that's it, that's terrible. This is going to be, obviously this story is going to come down on the side of the Pharisee. Obviously the Pharisee is the kind of guy that you really want to be. So they're already in their minds, they've already decided who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. And you know what? They're wrong. Let's continue. And the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. It's kind of amazing that he's, he, he's praying to himself. He's not even speaking to God because God's not hearing. So much of people's prayer life is just to themselves. Because God's not listening if you're not speaking what He believes you should be saying about yourself. And that's just as well. Because you, there are plenty of prayers that you've prayed that you did not need answered. Because that's the last thing you want to have happen in your life is have those prayers answered. This guy, because he feels that he's self-righteous, his prayer is just going to himself. So he's making himself feel happy with his own prayer. He's definitely not praying to God. He was praying to himself and he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get. <laughs> so this guy's saying, man, I pay tithes. He didn't actually pay. Did he pay tithes of all that he got? No, he, 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 was, he, he figured he was giving it to God as a loan so that he would get something back from God. That's not paying. That, that's entering into a transaction, right? When you give something, you don't expect anything back in return. Amen? 
That's how you know you've given. So when somebody used to get mad at me, say, well, you don't know how much I've given to this church. I thought, did you really give it to the church? Or did you just loan it so that you could get a position? Or did you loan it so that you would be thought of as important? Or did you actually really give it to God? Because what we give to God, we can't expect back from people. If we're really giving, moms, when you love your, your kids and you, you're loving on them and you're being nice to them and all this, but later on you can't come back and say, well, I took care of you all of those years and look how you're treating me now. That's not giving, that's loaning. That's not loving, that's just having it on loan, right? Amen? So what we're doing is, he said, I gave all of this and I did all of these things and everything else. And the other guy, what does he do? He's, he's, he's on the other side and he's beating his breast and he said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus said in verse 14, I tell you, this man, everybody say this man, not the other guy, <laughs> this man, the one that everybody despised, the one that everybody thinks, man, that guy's definitely going to hell. You know, if I had to p take a bet between who's good and who's bad, that guy's going to hell. In fact, when he leaves here, they're going to put him in a rocket, shoot him down to the basement, all the way straight to hell. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. He's done. <laughs> He's going to fry when he dies. That's it. Die and then fry. That's going to happen. In reality, it wasn't that. Now, Jesus isn't giving us this parable so that he can exalt sin. He's giving us this parable so he can show us that the attitude of heart that secures what you're looking for is not having a superior attitude towards other people. How many of you know we're not getting what we deserve? I'm so glad about that. Gee, thank God. I could sing about that forever because if I'm not getting what I deserve, that's the best news I could ever have in my life. I don't know about in your life, but I know in my life the fact that I'm not going to get what I deserve. I don't even wish that other people would get what they deserve. You know, there was a time in my life that I, I get them, Jesus. You know, sick them. Get them. Get them. You know, treat Jesus like my, my God dog. You know, get them, Jesus. You know, that's not, that's not who God is. If we've been released from so great a debt, how can we hold it over somebody else? I want the best for people. Amen? Do you want the best for people? Do you want to see them do well? Do you want to see them get out of the hole that they're in? Do you want to see them escape from the troubles that come upon them? Do you want to see that happen? I want to see that happen. And I know God wants to see that happen. And we, we can grab that idea and we can go ahead and, and, and begin to allow it to work inside of us. Because it's no good knowing that you're righteous because of what Jesus did and treating everybody else like they're unrighteous. It's no good knowing that Jesus died for your sins and thank God you've been released from all guilt and condemnation. But you're holding it over everybody else's head and saying, get them, Jesus, get them. Make sure that they, they have things that happen in their life. And so I just want to encourage you. And then the other thing that we can look at, and it's not in my original notes, so I apologize. And I have got my timer on, so don't panic, okay? I'm going to finish in time this morning. But listen carefully to what I have to say. Go with me quickly to the, the book of James. We're going to the book of James. And we're looking at James, at, at James chapter 2, verse, nine, verse 10. James chapter 2, verse 10. Sorry, the writing on the top here is a little bit small for me. James chapter 2 and verse 10. See, we're in the habit of measuring sins. And we say, well, I would never do that sin. And so we have made up in our minds what are really bad sins and what are not so bad sins. And so because we haven't done really bad sins, we're not as bad as the people who've done the really bad stuff. So we've, do, we we've done kind of good sins. There are no good sins, incidentally. Well, I just, I just did little sins, you know, not like really big ones. Like, I didn't murder anybody. 
Or actually, I may say, well, I did murder somebody. I, I murdered them, but they had it coming to them. They, they deserved it. They should have been murdered anyway. And, and that's why I went ahead and did it. But the reality is that we can't say those things about people. Yeah, in James chapter 2, verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. Why does it say that? For whoever keeps the whole law, he keeps everything, but he stumbles in one point. He's guilty of how much? He's not only guilty of the one, then he's guilty of everything. You say, well, how does that work? Well, it works this way. Violating the will of God is what the breaking the law is all about. And so even though you may not have done the specific sin that somebody else has done, you've, done, you've operated in the principle that they have operated in in breaking it, which is going against the will of God. And if you've gone against the will of God in one area, you've gone against the will of God, period. It's not a, well, I only went against the will of God in 99% of the places, but I've still got 1% that I'm okay. You know, I'm 99% bad, but I'm 1% good. No, he says if it's messed up in, in one point, it's messed up in everything. All of it is, is not okay. And he says, for the, the one who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. And what does the next verse say? So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. You see, the law of liberty is where we are released from the requirement to pay. It's not a law that holds us, holds us and makes sure we're going to pay back everything that we owe. It's the law that releases us from the obligation to pay. That's why it's a law of liberty. Verse 13, for judgment, listen carefully, verse 13, for judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. How many need mercy in your life? How, how, many, how many of you think that at some point in your life, maybe it's going really well, but at some point in your life, you're going to need somebody that's going to come alongside of you and say, listen, I still believe in you. I'm still going to stand with you. I'm still going to trust that God has a plan for you and that he's able to do it. And in spite of everything that's happened, I'm still going to be by your side and stand with you and walk together with you so that you can see it happen in your life. How many of you believe that that's something you're going to need in the future in your life? We need to give that, right? Because judgment will be merciless to the one who has not shown mercy. And we need to be a place of mercy. The church is the place of mercy. We need to be merciful to the unmerciful. How many know the world's not merciful? How many know the world when it hears about people's judging stuff and say, don't judge me? But the comment that says don't judge me is a judgment itself. So they're telling you, don't do what I just did to you because I'm judging that you're judging me. So I have judged you that you're the judge. <laughs> right? It's exactly the same thing. And so everybody's going around pointing fingers. You've got this. And then I know in church you feel like, man, I know I got, and this is, happens in pastors' minds. So, only, so this is a sin only pastors can do, okay? I'm lying. It's, far, it's not only pastors, but it can happen. You say, man, you know, we've done so much for God. And what is, what's up with these people that haven't done anything? If you did it for God, then you did it through him and by his power. And who do you think's doing it through you anyway? Did you do it? In which case, you should be applauding you and worshiping you. But the reality of it is, is God, not, I didn't do it in my own strength. I didn't do it through my own ability. I don't have any, anything that I can claim as coming from us. Now, I've been obedient and I've been disobedient. 
I've done right and yeah, I've screwed up some really bad things in my life. And I want you to know the reality is God is merciful. Judgment will be merciless to the one who doesn't show mercy. And I don't want to live with it. And you say, are you telling me, Pastor Mike, that if I don't show mercy to people, that when I die, I'm going to hell? No, I just mean that in your life, you're going to live in hell. Because mercy releases you from living in a hell of a situation in life so that you don't enjoy the freedom and the goodness of God. Now, how many of you don't want extra trouble in your life? How many of you are going to say to me this morning, I had enough trouble in my life. I don't want to see how much more I can earn and, and, and accrue in my life. I want to see that I can get out of all of the crazy stuff. And I, want to, I don't want to have any more pain. I'm not saying, I, you know, I'm in the front of the line. Hit me. I want trouble in my life. I want things to go wrong. I want people to treat me like I'm dirt. I want to go through all of that. Well, if you don't want that, then don't do that. Amen? Don't do that. Don't do that. And the reason why I'm saying don't do that is because Jesus taught this in Matthew chapter 7. Now we can go to the fixed verses that we have there. Thanks, Cassie. Jesus says this. Do not judge. Why? So that you will not be judged. Isn't that a great idea? How do you get away from it? Don't judge. But they're doing bad stuff. I have a special ministry of finding all the bad stuff in the church. You know, that doesn't require anything but the flesh. Because to see what is clearly seen requires no gift of the Holy Spirit. Some people say, oh, I have a gift of discernment. No, you have a gift of suspicion. You just suspect everybody. Well, I know something's not right. It doesn't matter. The reality is God, God wants to do stuff. And most of the moving of the Holy Spirit can't happen because we just suspect people all of the time. Here he says, do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. How many of these are the words of Jesus? It's not, that's not me. This is Jesus speaking. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that is in your own eye? So basically, the log for a modern thing is a two-by-four. Actually, it's a beam, so it's the four-by-four. So he's got a speck in, in his eye, and you've got a four-by-four four wrapped around your head. And now you're saying, let me help you. And every time you turn, you're smacking everybody with the four-by-four that's around your head, smacking everybody in the church. They're all getting damaged. Everybody's trying to duck and stay out of your way. But you've got a special ministry of finding specks in people's eyes. Little, little bits of problems. He said, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your own eye. What does Jesus say? You hypocrite. <clears throat> Next one. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. I mean, it's a log-sized problem. It's amazing that I'm finding fault with somebody else and I've got a log-sized problem in my own. They have a speck-sized problem and I have a log-sized problem. And I think that the real issue in the church is I need to get specks out of people's eyes. I remember my, my, one of my pastors preached once and said, the speck in your brother's eye is only the reflection of the log in your own. And if you get rid of the log out of your eye, it's amazing that you won't see any reflection of any speck in your brother's eye anymore because you've got away with it. Why does Jesus tell us not to judge? Who's qualified to judge? When you go to court and you're going to be judged, what, what do you want to have? You want all of the details to be there, right? And 
God is perfectly qualified to judge, but he doesn't even judge. How I many know oh, God's not going to judge? He said all judgment has been given to the Son. The Father's not going to judge anyone. God the Father is not. All judgment has been given to the Son. And not only has all judgment been given to the Son according to the Gospel of John, but the Son who has taken, not only is the one who will judge everything, is the one who received all the judgment that should have fallen on us, all of the punishment that should have fallen on us, fell on him. The one who died in our place is the one who's going to judge us. That's an amazing thing to think about. So the only way you're qualified to be judged is if you know everything. How many in this room know everything? None of us know everything. So none of us are qualified. Ever been judged before? People thought they knew what happened in your life and they thought they knew all of the details and they didn't know any of the details, but they formed an opinion anyway. Right? Was it, was it a good experience? Did it feel good? Did you just wish that somehow they knew all of the details? Listen, the reality is God is the judge because he knows everything. You don't have to teach God anything. He's, already, he's got it down. He knows all the details. Amen? And one of the biggest judgments that come is, <coughs> like we already saw, it, we, we imagine that we're superior to people around us. We think we're better. This is the biggest judgment in church. Well, I work harder than anybody else. Well, I've served harder than anybody else. Anybody else. Did you, if, if you serve, you're doing it as unto the Lord. I, I know this is going to be tough. I'm sorry that there's some of you parts of this are going to be tough. But when we serve, we're really doing it to the Lord. If you want to keep on doing the good things that God called you to do, you're going to have to see it as God that you're serving and not people. Because people are terrible things. <coughs> they, they don't recognize what you're doing. They don't thank you. So are we doing it because we're looking for thanks? Are we doing it because we're looking for recognition? Are we doing it because we want people to applaud us? Are we doing it because we'll be adequately recognized? There were times where I just said, I just hate doing what I'm doing because I don't feel like anybody appreciates anything that's happening. And the reality I, was that my, my head was all wrong. I was doing it looking for the appreciation. And yet God is the one who's inspiring it, right? God's the nice guy. If you do it for him, you get all of the benefit from him, amen? You're not, you're not, you're not doing it for people around about you, hallelujah. So I want to look at a couple of verses quickly before we get into this a little deeper so that you don't spend all the time uh, thinking about yourself, but you start thinking about who God is, all right? All right. <coughs> and I, are, we, are we jammed up there, Kathy? That's what's happened? We can turn it off. Just listen to the verses. I'll read them. We can turn it off there. I think it'll be easier. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, he says, For I am conscious of nothing against myself. Yet I'm not by this acquitted, for the one who examines me is the Lord. I'm, not, I'm conscious of what? Nothing against myself. And I'm not acquitted. What does acquitted mean? Acquitted means not held guilty. Not, not required to serve any kind of sentence. Not uh, being required to be punished in any way. He says, I'm not acquitted because I don't. Paul said, I'm not even conscious of anything against myself. How you can do that, you can only do that through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
that is not possible in any human being's life because everybody is already messed up. Everybody's already done wrong. The only way that you can say that I am conscious of nothing against myself is if on the basis of the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus who died for all sin for all time. There's no sin that was left out of the payment that Jesus made. There's not a sin that has happened. There's not a sin that is happening. There's not a sin that will happen that Jesus has not paid for it already. Can you say amen? He has already taken care. If you are living under guilt and condemnation this morning, you're living under guilt and condemnation because either you didn't know what I just said to you, or you sincerely doubt it because you're probably disappointed because you thought you were going to be better than what you've been. And so it's all about you and it's not about Jesus anymore. In which case, get your eyes off of you and start looking at Jesus again. Can you say amen? There is no reason why you should feel uncomfortable in the presence of God. Jesus died to make you comfortable. If you come to my house, I'm going to give you a drink. I'm going to try and puff up the cushions. I'm going to hand you things that you need to make you comfortable. But I sure am not going to die to make you comfortable. Can you say amen? But Jesus, when you come into the presence of God, he said, listen, I'm not just puffing up the cushions, giving you a nice drink, lifting up your feet, you know, massaging them or anything. I died to make you comfortable in this place for you to feel at home. I gave up my life for you. And then we live on the outside feeling like I'm not welcome here. I don't belong. Of course you belong here. You belong here because there's somebody who gave himself up that you would feel present, uh, feel, feel welcome in the presence of God, that you would be embraced, that you would be loved. Hallelujah. He was willing to pay that. And sometimes it's about us wanting to pay prices, but, you know, the reality is we, we only pay the prices because we know that he already paid the price. For us, it's a response. Responsibility is our ability to respond to what he did for us. We're not earning anything. You're not buying your salvation. You could never pay for it. It's impossible. Even, even if we served God faultlessly for a thousand years, it still wouldn't be enough. It wouldn't even be close to be enough. It wouldn't even be close to be beginning to even be close to maybe perhaps even a minuscule little amount along the way to being enough. Never. The impossibility of it. And I know how many times the enemy torments us, keeping us feeling like we don't belong here. We're not supposed to be here. I'm no good, and I'm evil, and there's something else. You know what? <laughs> the guy said, I'm okay. I've been good, you know. I'm like righteous, and that guy, <laughs> he's a sinner, and I've been giving, and I've been doing all of the right kind of stuff all of my life, and I'm glad I'm not like him. That guy went home dead. He was talking to himself, and he went home dead. The other guy who showed up said, God be merciful to me, a sinner had a spiritual revival before he left the place. He's the one that had something happen. Amen? He's the one that had a supernatural intervention from God. And we are in good grounds when we begin to say, God, I don't have anything to bring to you. I can't bring any promises. I don't have a track record that I can offer up to you. I don't have anything that is able to endear me to your heart and make you feel good about me. I just come because of Jesus and what he did. I don't have any other claim. I don't have any other confidence. I don't have anything else that I can hold on to. I can only hold on to Jesus. And God said, that's good because that's more than enough. That's everything that you need to hold on to. 
there isn't anything better to hold on to. If you looked for something else, you would be going away from the best. If you headed for something else, you would be headed away from what God wants to do for you. This is when life begins to flow. Are you hearing me? This is when things begin to happen inside of your life. Instead of sitting there and saying, you know, my life just sucks and it's getting worse. It was bad and now it's even worse than it is. You know, I hear other people saying it just keeps getting better and better. And say, no, it just keeps getting suckier and suckier and suckier. You can turn it around by saying yes. Or you can look at everybody else and say, they suck too. They're terrible. I hate them. They hate me. I hope they get what's coming to them. I believe what goes around comes around. You know, that's an Old Testament doctrine. Because in the New Testament, what goes around is not coming around, thank God, because it died with Jesus. Your punishment died with Jesus. What was coming to you, it, 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 was, it was dealt with in Jesus Christ. He paid, if he didn't deal with it, we're all going to hell. And then this is just a farce. We're all getting together to sing about how nice and good we are. No, we're talking about how great and good he is. Amen. We're not here to worship ourselves. Thank God. We're not here to say, I'm glad I'm so righteous. I'm glad I've done that all right. I'm glad I'm, I'm just such a spiritual being. You know, the spiritual being is not the one that rejoices in what he's done. If you're rejoicing in what you're done and what you're given, that's not spirituality. That's deception. Where's the only claim that we have? Jesus. That's the only thing that can really give us confidence. And I'm telling you now, you can't receive healing, you can't receive deliverance, you can't receive joy, you can't receive, you can't receive anything if you think you're paying for it. Because then what, you're, not, you're not receiving it, you're buying it. We're not buying anything. You know, I, I was looking at the, you know, if I pray long enough, I'm going to have more power from God. If I fast long enough, I'm going to have more spiritual power. And then I looked at Acts 1.8, it says, you shall receive power doesn't say you shall be rewarded with power it says you shall receive and I, I suddenly realized oh my god i've been wrong for a long time this is terrible how did i miss it i thought there were some parts that you know i'm going to get it because i'm laboring good and i'm doing all the right kinds of stuff and so on <clears throat> but the reality of it is that i can't do anything let's look at romans 8 chapter 8 verse 33 and 34 romans chapter 8 33 and 34. I've been going for 25 minutes. Hold on. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who does it. Who, if, if you said yes to Jesus, you're part of the elect. He chose you. In fact, he said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Because we didn't decide we were going to be followers of Jesus. He decided that he would love us. And it's when we found out that he loved us, we agreed with him. Said, okay, I'll go with that. You love me? You want the best for me? You're not going to throw me in hell because that's what I deserve? Instead, you're going to give me... You know, when we get to, when we get to, to the right hand of God, we're going to find out that's where we've been seated all along. When we arrive in heaven, we'll find out we've been seated at the right hand of God in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2, 6. And, and how many of you know you didn't work for that? It was handed to you on a plate. It was given to you. It was spoon-fed to you. You got, it, it was everything that you needed to was given to you freely as a gift. That's such good news to me. So who will bring a charge against God's elect? What's the answer to that question? Who's going to do it? Who's going to point a finger at you and point out fault in you? 
Who's going to say that thing is wrong? Who's going to do that when God, who sees everything, how many know God sees everything? God's not missing a thing. He knows all the details. And what does God say? You're just. You're righteous. You're pure. You're holy. That's what the word means. Who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. But I'll tell you what, within church, the elect are bringing charges against the elect. We're pointing fingers at everybody else. Well, they did this, and they did that, and they did the other. Your job isn't to point out the faults of people. Your job is to keep lifting up Jesus. That's why we come to worship, not to have a fault-finding session. <coughs> you save that for the annual general meeting of the church. That's, no, you don't even have it there. That's I've been such horrendous stuff. So ungodly. Somehow we suspend the entire reality of our relationship with Jesus and the word of God. And then we just start pointing fingers and everyone starts getting mad. It's, that is not how it's supposed to be. Amen. It's not how it's supposed to be. <coughs> Let's continue with the next part there. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who's raised is at the right hand of God who also intercedes for us. Jesus isn't praying against you. He's praying for you. Amen? It's kind of crazy. I actually heard that people were praying against people. I thought, only person listening to that prayer is the devil. God's not listening to that. You're praying for yourself at best. At worst, you're talking straight to the devil's ear. You're saying, go get him, devil. And how many know he's the one who loves to steal, to kill, and to destroy? He'd like to do. Now, Jesus said, do not judge that you be not. The reason for not judging is for our personal benefit. In other words, if we judge, what happens? And when I, when I mean this, I'm not saying that you're going to die and go to hell one day. It's gonna, there's going to be trouble in your life. When we get judgmental, we bring trouble to our lives. It's like you painted a giant bullseye on your chest, and you went and stood in the middle of the rifle range where the devil's shooting all of his fiery darts and said, Yoo-hoo, I'm over here. Big target. Come and get me. So when we start becoming judgmental, we open up our lives for the enemy to start attacking us because he wants to have an opportunity. Can you say amen? He wants to have an opportunity. <coughs> oh, there's so much I want to say here, but let me, let me not go over it. Um, let's quickly go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I want to make this clear. <coughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. It says, be angry and yet do not sin. How many have ever been angry before? I've got both my hands and my foot up and there's a few things here. Why did you get angry? I got angry because I felt like somebody had done an injustice to me. I felt like it shouldn't have happened or it shouldn't have gone down that way. That shouldn't have taken place in my life. So I felt like what was right got violated. Anybody identify with that? Just, just me? So anger is when we feel like I've suffered an injustice. So my natural response is angry. So what does he say here? Be angry. So he doesn't say don't be angry. What does he say? Be angry. Are you allowed to, get, you allowed to feel the emotion of anger where you reject the notion that this is injustice for me to be treated in this way. I should not be treated in this way. Sometimes we, 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 we project that onto God. We say, God is treating me in this way because this disaster happened in my life and that disaster happened. In my life. Listen, none of the disasters that happen in your life have their source in God at all. But he is the deliverer from all. 
If you will call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved, rescued, delivered from every single thing that comes against your life. Can you say amen? There's a way out of it. Call upon the name of the Lord. Begin to say Jesus. Jesus. And when you say Jesus, say everything that he has done in that name for you and for me. Amen. So be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the what? The sun go down on your. So how long are you allowed to be angry for? Only for this day. Right? God says, okay, you have emotions. They got all riled up. That's cool. But the moment the sun goes down, what are you supposed to do with it? Can't have it anymore, right? Because if you let it go longer than that, what happens? It becomes sin. And when it becomes sin, it becomes an opportunity for the enemy. Look at the next part there. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Now, the reason why, and why do we get angry? We say, they did that to me. What is that? They did that. That's a judgment, right? They did that to me. They let me down. They did these things. And what is, what is he saying? You can get angry about that, but don't let it go longer than 12 hours. If they did it to you at 6 a.m. when the sun came up, you've got until 6 p.m. that night when it starts going down again. That's as much as you're allowed. You say, that little, that's being generous. More than that is going to be of the devil. Can you say amen? Right? So he's saying, uh, don't give. Everybody say, don't give the devil an opportunity. You say, but, uh, but they just taking advantage. No, you're actually feeding it. You know that you're feeding your problem? And you know what happens when you feed your problem? If you go out and buy one of those giant 18-inch pizza or 24-inch pizza things, the big wagon wheel pizza, and you go, ah, and just feed your face and everything. Guess what happens? You do that to your problem, what happens to it? It gets much bigger, right? Amen? And, and yeah, he's saying, don't give the devil an opportunity. So if you go out and you do all of those things and, and you start causing trouble in that regard, there's going to be an enemy that's going to take advantage of you. The Bible also says the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. Paul's talking here about a, a man who committed a sexual sin. He had his father's wife. And he was living openly in that relationship. And the church just looked at it and didn't think anything of it and everything else like that. And then uh, Paul point pointed it out. And they all got mad at the guy. And they were all upset at him. And now he says, no, now that he said, I'm sorry, you need to forgive him. He said, because whom you forgive anything, I forgive often. I forgive often. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes. In the presence of God. When you forgive, whose sake are you doing it for? You're doing it for their sake, right? And that's because you know, now I want the devil to have everything in, in their just take everything out of their life, wreck them. Just I don't want God, I don't want anybody to get what they deserve. I don't want to get what I deserve, and I don't want anybody to get what they deserve. Because what I deserve is not what I'm about. I really want to have what God has paid for me. And yeah, he says that no one that no advantage of us be taken, and so no advantage be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant. Of his schemes. Do you notice how it's connected together with the forgiveness? That if we are holding things against people, that who's going to be, that is, is somebody going to be, is the, uh, the guy that did the problem, is, is he the one that's going to be taken advantage of? No, we who hold the unforgiveness, we're going to be what? 
We're going to be taken advantage of because we're not ignorant. Are you not ignorant? I pray you're not ignorant this morning, all right? So we know that if we're going to go ahead and we're going to maintain it, and I know it's getting really quiet in this church right now because um, as somebody said, it's getting close, but it's even closer than that. It's walked in the front door and sat down at your table. That's how close it is. The reality is (coughs) that if, if we go ahead and remain in the attitude towards somebody of unforgiveness, we're actually opening ourselves up uh, for the enemy to work in us. Matthew 18, verses 23 through 35. It's a long story. You know the story, I think, about the guy who owned an impossibly large sum of money and the guy who owed just 100 days' wages. <coughs> Let me read it to you. Matthew 18, 23 through 35. Everybody still with me? All still awake? All right. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. A, a talent is 15 years wages of a common man. Actually, more than 15 years of wages of a common man. So says the New American Standard Bible. It says 15 years wages. And how much did he owe? 10,000 thousand times 15 years how much is that 150,000 years of wages that's important it's 150,000 years and he says to him he, he comes to him and said pay me back what you owe me he says please be patient with me I'll pay it back is it possible If he lived for 150,000 years and didn't eat anything or need anything and just spend everything that he got, he'd only be able to come a little bit close. But then, of course, interest would have kicked in by then and it would have been impossible to be able to pay back. It's an impossibly large sum of money. The slave fell to the ground, prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me and I'll repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But, everybody say but, this guy just doesn't get it, right? But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, 100 days wages as opposed to 150,000 years. Can you imagine the comparison of the amount? So what has he been released from? 150,000 years of debt. And here's a guy who owes him a hundred bucks. And he comes to him and he says, pay back what you owe. And the fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. Can he repay it? Yes, he can. It's only a hundred days. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. And so when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved. And they came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. And then summoning him to his Lord said to him, you wicked slave. Why is he wicked? Because he's not appreciating the fact that he's forgiven. Real wickedness is when we don't treat people the way we have been treated by God. That's when we twist it. The word wicked means to twist back on yourself. It means to go in the opposite direction of the way you should have gone. In other words, if we are forgiven, we should forgive. Should you not have had mercy? Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave? In the same way that I had mercy on you. And his Lord moved with anger, 
handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. Is he ever going to repay it? No, he's not. My heavenly father will do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from the heart. You need to forgive from the heart, right? Now, when it says he'll do the same to you, he's not meaning you're going to go to hell because you walked in unforgiveness. This means your life's going to be hell. How many know you're never going to pay it back anyway, right? It's never going to happen. The only way to pay it back is by faith in Jesus Christ. It's paid in full. That's the only way to do it. This um, story is not being taught here to say that if you don't forgive, you're going to die and go to hell. This story is saying that if you don't forgive, you are going to be punished in this life through things that you thought you were holding against them. Those very things that you held against them are the things that are going to come against you. The very thing that you wished to happen to them is going to happen to you. How many of you ever wished bad things on people? Okay, don't put your hand up. I'm putting mine up and my feet and everything else. I've wished bad things. You say, you wish bad things on people? I said, yeah. I just wish. God, I hope they just get what they deserve because they just... They've just been so mean and so nasty to me. I, I just hope they get what they deserve. I'm, I'm taking all those prayers back. All of those things where I felt like I was justified. Well, they sowed, they're going to reap. I'm saying, God, don't let them reap. Don't let them reap. Put in the weed killer, God. Put in the weed killer. Spray, spray whatever you've got to spray. Just kill it right now in Jesus' name. Don't let them get it. Because as you, as my attitude towards them is really going to come back and it's going to haunt me. You know why I struggle so much to believe that I'm clean and I'm pure? Because I struggle so much to believe that everybody else is clean and pure through the same sacrifice. And so if I allow it to constantly have this effect in my own life, it's going to obviously have a negative effect uh, in, in their lives. It's obviously going to have a negative effect in my own life. Can you say amen to that? And I don't want to live in hell. I've been there, spent the night, got the T-shirt, but I don't want to stay there, right? I don't even want to brag about the fact that I was there. I'd like to forget that I was there. How many of you want to join me in that? I don't want to go right ahead and say, well, you know the stuff I've been through. Yeah, you've been through nothing. I, I want to look at people, and when people come to me and say, you know what, can you help me? I've got a speck in my eye. I say, man, that's nothing. I had a beam in mine, and I'm only too happy to help you because I got delivered from a beam. What is a putri speck? I got delivered from 150,000 years worth of stuff. You just want a hundred denarii? That's piece of cake, man. Let me show you exactly how to be free from that. And the good news is that to be free from little is the same as being free from much. To be free from just the small things is the same as being free from much sin. It doesn't matter. There's nothing else that, that can be able to stop you from that. And you say, well, is, isn't that kind of making us kind of loosey-goosey when it comes to sin? No, it's making us really flighty. Uh, r really uh, strong and tidy when it comes to the reality of what Jesus Christ did for us. Somebody said, well, you make too little of sin. No, I make too much of Jesus. The church needs to make much of Jesus. Hey, we need to make much of the message that releases people from the obligation to repay God whom they have violated by going against His will. We've done it. So well, I didn't do what He did. You did the same thing in principle. So, well, I, don't, I never committed adultery. Yeah, but have you gone too far sexually ever in your life, in any area of your life? Then you already started down the same journey that ends with the result that he's spoken about. So I never murdered anybody. Have you ever hated anybody? Ever ghosted anybody? 
wish that they were dead out of your life. Isn't that, that's what Jesus says. If you hate your brother, you've committed what? Murder. He says, you were really murdered. He said, no, that's not the same thing. You know, I didn't like slit his throat and watch him bleed out. Yeah, but if you could have, you would have. Amen? Oh, it's very quiet in this church. No, I'm not murderous. Of course you have. Everybody has the capacity to go ahead and do the wrong thing. If you didn't have that capacity, you didn't need Jesus to save you. Amen? Let's go to John chapter 8. Jesus with the woman caught in adultery. So they come and they, they bring this woman to Jesus. She's caught in adultery. She's a teacher. She's been caught in adultery in the very act. In other words, we're not even guessing about whether she did it or not. You know, it wasn't that we saw them come out of the same room at the same time at midnight. And so we think something bad must have happened. No, we actually caught him in the act. Now, you don't commit adultery by yourself. So it's kind of surprising that they never bring the guy. But that's an entirely different situation. Because they didn't want to prosecute the guy. They actually didn't even want to prosecute the woman. They really wanted to prosecute Jesus. And what did they want to tell Jesus? They wanted to tell Jesus, we have this issue in our lives that we can't deal with, so we want you to resolve it, and it's really our case against God. And our case against God is this. If you forgive sins, you light on sins. And if you go ahead and punish sins, where is your mercy? So we know that you're supposed to be holy and you're supposed to be loving, and we just don't understand how those two things work together. Because if you're holy, you need a sentence to death, this woman. Let us stone her right here. But if you say stone her to death, like the law says, we're going to ask you, whatever happened to love? So we figure we've got our case against God. It's foolproof. We've finally found fault with God. God is messed up. There's something wrong with God. You can't be loving and holy at the same time, and he can't expect us to be loving and holy either. We're going to go around stoning all the people who did the wrong thing, and then we'll just try and be loving with all the people who are doing the right thing. Wrong news. Why? Because God causes the rain to fall and the sun to shine on the good and the bad. He loves good and wicked people exactly the same amount. You may have an issue with that. I may have an issue with that. But God doesn't have an issue with that because everybody has been paid for with the same price through Jesus Christ. Amen? <clears throat> and so I can't look at somebody and say, well, you know, they're bad. Do you really want to have what they, what, <laughs> do you really want to have come to your life what you want to have come to them? I don't want anything bad to happen to anybody ever again. Even the worst of people, I just... Man, they're going to get it. I, I don't want to do that. I remember as a police officer when a man was let off on a technicality, he actually testified before the court, I slaughtered my wife like I slaughtered a sheep. He slit her throat from ear to ear and watched her bleed out. And I remember being so mad. I was 19 as a young police officer. And I remember being so mad. I went up to the jail cell af afterwards when he was actually acquitted on a technicality. Terrible. And I looked at him and I said, you're going to burn in hell forever. And I was so wrong. Because there's, that's, not, that should ne that's not God's desire. God doesn't look at us and say, you messed up big time, son. You're going to burn in hell forever. You deserve every bit of it. Because that's not the attitude of the heart of God. I've had attitudes and things in my own heart for years that I thought were right and good. And now I find out all they are is just a violation of what Jesus did. Just going against the fact that he paid for that. Is this ministering to you? Are, you? are you getting out of this what needs to come out of this? <clears throat> it 
says they were, they were saying this. They said, caught in the act. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Then what then do you say? And they were saying this, testing him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. They didn't come to judge her. They came to judge Jesus. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and did what? Jesus not even bothering. And they're all looking at him saying, well, why is he not responding? You know, some questions are unanswerable because the whole premise of the question is what? Moses or your message? Jesus, I know you're going around telling everybody that God loves them and he's going to provide for them and that there's no condemnation for them. But what about Moses? I mean, no, we don't live under Moses anymore. <laughs> We're living under Jesus. Hallelujah. So make sure when you read your Bible, you make that distinction. When you read the Old Testament, not under Moses anymore, right? Under Jesus. Hallelujah. We, we, we're in a completely different thing. So uh, he sits down and, and he's writing. And they say, they keep on at him. They, they won't let up. What do you want to say? What do you say? What do you say? Come on, tell us what you say. Hey, don't just ignore us. Tell us what you say. And then after he's looked around, he, he straightens up and he says, the one among you that doesn't have any sin, he can cast the first stone. And he went bent down, started writing in the sand again. What is he telling them to do? So before you find fault with me, check to see all of your faults. Before you say there's something wrong with me, recognize that there's something wrong with you. And the only person who can pass a judgment is somebody who doesn't have anything wrong with them. Amen? And, when, and, and, and he said, when he said this, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and said, this is not fun anymore. We were righteous until we came here, and we were looking forward to seeing at least somebody get stoned, hopefully Jesus, but we would take her as the second one. And now we can't get Jesus, and we can't even get her, and now we're really mad, and so they started dropping their rocks and heading for home, which is a good thing to do, I suppose. And when Jesus looks up and sees her standing there, he said, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, no one. And Jesus said, what? Now I'm going to have to stone you to death, which is actually what the Chinese government has changed this parable in Spain because they've decided they're going to be the people who are the arbiters of the word of God. The CCP in China is this big enemy of the entire world, and they actually did. They changed this last part. But Jesus said, I'm going to have to stone you because you did something wrong. They don't understand the gospel at all, but they did. They rewrote this text. So the Chinese government is in charge of printing Bibles for Chinese Christians. <coughs> That's their, their idea of doing things. But yet she says, nobody did. And what does Jesus say? I don't condemn you either. From now on, sin no more. If you know that you are not condemned, it's the best way for you to overcome Amen? And we here, and you here in Rio Rico and amongst the people that you rub shoulders with and the people that you are with, you, you are with people every single day who need to know that God is a God of mercy, that he doesn't want the bad things to happen in your life, that he wants the good stuff to happen in your life, and you don't want to give the enemy an opportunity. Listen, I don't want the devil to have another victim in this world. I don't want the devil to have another victim in the church. 
because we decided we were going to maintain an attitude that says, I don't care that God has forgiven them. I'm never going to forgive them. I don't care that Jesus died for them. I'm never going to do anything again for them as long as I live. And if I don't see them ever again, it will be too soon. That's judgment. That we think we're entitled. You're not entitled to that. Not a, we, we're a people who are entitled to love people. We're entitled to forgive them. We've actually been blessed to love and blessed to forgive. Because we have been blessed. We have been blessed in order to be a blessing. Not just being blessed so that I'm blessed and I'm glad that God loves me and everybody else is going to go to hell and that's all that matters. That's not the blessed part about it. The best part is I'm blessed to be a blessing. I'm forgiven to forgive. I am freed in order to deliver other people. I have my needs met so that I can meet the needs of others. I have received everything that I will ever need so that I can go ahead and be a blessing to everybody else around me. Can you say amen? I, I know this is, this is the practical application of righteousness in our lives, right? It's good to know that we're pure and holy before God. And I have a message that I preached a couple of weeks back on the, uh, at the church in, in Bakersfield uh, called the Law of Liberty. I'm happy to share that with you. Uh, if you want me to, te to text it to you and send it to you so you can listen to it, I'll be happy for you to, to go ahead and listen to it so that you can know that you're clean and pure and holy. But understand this, that what has happened to us, we have to extend to other people. Can you say amen? Amen. So I'm going to go ahead and pray right now. I'm going to ask uh, Jared to uh, come on up in a moment. And what I've asked him to do is if he will minister, especially to the young people now, he'll prophesy over you this morning. <coughs> So if you need a prophetic word, it's just, he doesn't know you. I know you. Some of you, I know you from the moment you were born. Most of you, I know you from the moment you were born. Others, you were still in diapers at the Bible study when I first met you and so on. So I know every detail about your life, but he's blissfully ignorant. So whatever comes out of his mouth, I didn't tell him any details about you. So if God has something special that he wants to share to him, that's cool and it's all good. I'm happy to pray for the adults. I don't promise I'm going to have a prophetic word, but I'm happy to pray for you. But I just want to give you the opportunity right now. Let's just, let's just close our eyes and, and, and bow our heads at this moment in time as we're doing this. And just as we're coming to close this, this, <coughs> this meeting this morning, right where you are right now, just, just make it clear to God that you are releasing anybody from the obligation to repay you or pay you back for anything that you don't feel that anything needs to be paid back to you. You don't need to get anything back because Jesus has already taken everything that we should have borne. Just go ahead and release it. You say, well, why would I do that? Well, first of all, it's going to make you feel better. Second of all, it's going to remove the, the platform for the devil to continue operating in your life. And thirdly, it's going to release faith so that the blessing of God can flow freely in your life. It's not because you're being nice. It's because you're saying, Jesus, you forgave so much. How can I possibly hold on to any of the other small, insignificant things compared to the great debt that I've been released from? So I come and I release people and I don't hold anything against them and I don't look at them and despise them, regard them with contempt and think that they're beneath me or they're worth less than me. There goes somebody for whom Jesus gave everything. There goes somebody for whom Jesus paid the ultimate price. There's somebody who deserves better than that because there's a life better than that that's being provided for them. And I'm so sorry that they're missing out on it. And I want to find a way to communicate it with them so that they can hear it and believe it and be released from the terrible anguish 
heartache problems and trials that they're going through right now, that they'd be able to know there's a God in heaven who loves them, who's for them, who's not against them, who's on their side, who's been on their side all the time, even when they didn't think he was on their side, who's been for them all the time, even when they thought he was against them, who has never given up believing in them and believing in their future and cheering them on the whole time, saying, keep getting up, keep going forward, don't quit now. There's greater things ahead. There's greater stuff to come. You haven't even begun to experience all the good. The joy that is set before you is so much greater than all of the trials and the difficulties that you have come through up until this point. Go ahead. Look to the joy that is set before you. Look to the joy that is set before you. Cast down in your mind all of this other stuff that tries to hold you back and put your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Father, thank you. Thank you for your blessing and for your goodness released in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, I'm going to ask um, Jared to come on up and if you'd like to say something before we close the service.